0: We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Welcome to Rams Up. This is an L.A. Rams podcast. We'll touch on other SoCal sports news of merit, but it's mostly about the Rams here. Thank you for joining us. You can reach us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com and visit our website at laramsup.com. And please don't forget, subscribe and give us that 5-star rating. We really appreciate it. Let's get to it. Greetings Ram fans! Welcome to episode 16. Before we get started here, I wanted to revisit something from last week. I gave you my roster locks for the L.A. Rams 2021. Those players that are locks to make the roster, in my opinion. And one guy I purposely left off that I got a little bit of feedback on was Johnny Hecker. And that that was on purpose. That was not an oversight. And I think it's because there is the potential for him to be traded. I really think there is. So I left them off my roster locks. That's my explanation. I wanted to get that out of the way early. What do we have for you this week? We have our greatest play number four. We have our four questions. This week, we're changing it up a little bit. It's not so much four questions, and it's not a sports pet peeve. It is our four worst sports cliches, sort of combining the two there. The four sports cliches that annoy the heck out of me. So no fearsome four questions, just our fearsome four annoying sports cliches. Last week we looked at the over and under win totals for all the teams in the NFC. We will do the same this week for the AFC. And by the way, the Packers over under is off right now. You cannot make that bet, which makes sense with this Aaron Rodgers drama going on. Get into some Ram notes and some local sports notes, and then we'll get to our main segments. The Rams signed defensive back Kareem Orr, 5'11", 195, out of Chattanooga. He was with the Titans last year off and on the practice squad active roster. The Rams have claimed defensive back Kareem Orr, 5'11", 195, out of Chattanooga. He was with the Titans. Tutu Atwell announcing that, hey... I think I'm going to be returning punts. I assume the Rams coaching staff has pointed him in that direction, and that's why he said that. I discussed that during our special teams segment. We discussed the Rams special teams, and I pointed out that I thought it would be very likely a rookie returning punts for the Rams, as long as that rookie can allay the Rams' concerns about ball security issues. So it looks like Tutu may be the guy They'll have some proven to do in preseason. He did not do a lot of punt returning in college, surprisingly. Peter King shared his updated NFL power rankings last week. He has 1 Kansas City, 2 Tampa Bay, 3 Buffalo, 4 Cleveland, 5 San Francisco, and 6 the Rams. I don't have a major issue with these rankings by Peter. I think Cleveland might be a little high, though. Julius Jones is the talk of the town. Atlanta has apparently agreed to trade him. The Titans seem to be the front runner. The Rams were in talks with Atlanta to see if they could work out a deal. Word on the street is the Rams are no longer in trade talks with them. However, Seattle is. So we're pulling for the Titans here at this point. Hopefully Tennessee can get something done. Aaron Rodgers drama. A little bit less news about that. He saw an interview of him while he was in Hawaii vacationing. He had some nice things to say about Green Bay, the players, the fans in his 16 years there. But it also seemed like he's ready to move on, in my opinion. The 2022 NFL salary cap should come in at $208.2 million. The Rams will still be in a little bit of trouble for that year, next year. Things will open up for them in 2023. They'll have plenty of money available, but that's largely because so many of their current players are not under contract for that year. So it's not like they're going to have $70 million to go upgrade their roster. It's going to be a more of a case of replacing guys, re signing guys, plugging holes, that sort of thing. We find out that Matthew Stafford had thumb surgery recently, but he's been in camp, phase two of the OTAs, and apparently throwing the ball very well. We also hear that Coleman Shelton is taking reps at center with the number twos. Brian Allen is with the number threes. That's interesting. Austin Corbett seems to be in the process of locking down the starting job at center. That's all I have for Rams news. That's our Rams roundup. Let's talk a little bit about some other SoCal sports news of note. How about that UCLA women's softball team? They do not get enough credit. They are the New York Yankees of women's softball. 29 World Series appearances, 22 championship game appearances, 13 women's college World Series championships. They had a three-game series with Virginia Tech, best of three on the UCLA campus this past weekend. The Hokies actually beat Rachel Garcia, the pitcher out of Palmdale, Some consider her to be the greatest two-way softball player in the history of the game. But the Bruins bounced back. Megan Farremo pitched Game 2, put in a solid effort. UCLA won that game, and then they came back. And Rachel Garcia returned to the mound on Saturday. She pitched a shutout. Maya Brady, Tom Brady's niece, had a three-run shot as the Bruins won 6-0. Boy, they got a solid roster, though. They have a real shot at winning another title. They will match up with Florida State on Thursday night at the College World Series. Alabama and Arizona are also on their side of the bracket, two teams that the Bruins have fared very well against. Alabama, actually, UCLA, is 9-0 against the Crimson Tide in softball over the years. The Dodgers look like they were on a roll. Now they've slid back into third place. Really struggling at the plate. Cody Bellinger is back, Corey Seeger is not. Mookie Betts has been missing some games. Betts is hitting 240 compared to his 298 career average. But it seems to me that nobody is having a good year for the Dodgers. Max Muncy has had some moments, as has Gavin Lux. The highest average on the team, Clayton Kershaw, followed by Max Muncy's 282. That's not a recipe for success. And now they host the first-place Cardinals in Los Angeles. Dodgers need to get it turned around fast. And lastly, the Lakers and Clippers. Suddenly going in different directions. It looked like it was going to be the Mavericks all over the Clippers. And the Lakers once again had the Suns number. Now we've seen a resurgence with the Clippers. They've won two in a row. That series tied up 2-2. Two to two. Suns have bounced back, tied up their series with the Lakers 2-2, and Anthony Davis possibly out. We'll have to see how serious that injury is, but, but according to my typically optimistic Laker insider, the Lakers are in trouble. And before we get to our main segments, I wanted to invite you to return next week. We are going to have a special segment on the guy that I think is the most underrated Ram in recent history, one of my favorite all-time players, SJ39. One of the things we did last week was we discussed the over and under win totals for each team in the NFC, and I shared the teams I'm buying and the teams I'm selling. We'll do the same thing for the AFC teams here. First, the teams that I think the over-under win totals are fairly spot on and not much to discuss. Not buying or selling, pretty much ignoring the Pittsburgh Steelers, their line is eight and a half wins. I think that's pretty spot on. Uh, Big Ben's coming back. They, wide receiving core looks good. Najee Harris, the rookie running back, should strengthen that part of their game. Some will tell you they had the best defense in the league last year, even better than the Rams, based on certain analytics. But they did lose Bud Dupree. But they're playing that first place schedule. They got the Packers, Chiefs. Chargers, Seahawks, Bills and Titans to deal with. So don't misunderstand me. I think the Steelers will be a good team. But getting to 9 or 10 wins will be a challenge for them. Cincinnati Bengals, another team I wouldn't touch. 6.5 is the over-under on them. They got the fourth-place schedule, which means they get the 49ers. They also draw the Packers, Chiefs, and Chargers. And their own division's pretty tough, so not touching that 6.5. New England Patriots, their number is nine. Tough team to read. You know, Bill is probably going to lead them back somewhat. Just how good are they going to be? Who's going to be their quarterback? Is it going to be the rookie Mac Jones at some point? Probably not. It'll probably be Cam Newton. We hear stories of Cam working his butt off to improve his passing. I like what they did in free agency, adding the two tight ends, Johnu Smith and Hunter Henry reminiscent of the Gronkowski-Aaron Hernandez days. Still nine wins. They got the Colts and Bucks on their schedule, as well as the Titans. I think they'll get to nine wins. More than that, hard to say. Another team that's spot on, in my opinion, Buffalo Bills, 10.5 wins. They're one team that I peg as a possible Super Bowl team this year. They got the Titans, Colts, Bucks, and Chiefs on their schedule. People seem to be forgetting about them already, but 10.5 seems about right. New York Jets, 6.5 wins. They're bringing in that new quarterback, new coaching staff. Their schedule isn't too overwhelming. It includes the Titans, Bucks, Saints, their own division. It's getting a little bit stronger. I think they're going to be improved, but 6.5 wins seems about right. The Denver Broncos, seven and a half. They get the AFC North, which will be a tough draw. Steelers, Ravens, Browns. They also get the NFC East, though. So that's going to help them get to perhaps seven or eight wins, but still not touching it. There are four teams that I'm leaning towards the under, but don't have a strong opinion on it. First one would be the Indianapolis Colts, 10 wins. They play the NFC West, so they'll get the Seahawks, Rams, Niners, and Cards. They also get the AFC East. Patriots will bounce back. Dolphins are improving, and the Bills are good. And they also get the Bucks and Ravens. So I'm kind of torn on this. I originally saw the Colts as a playoff team. Bring in Carson Wentz. Hopefully he'll get his career straightened out. They got one of the best offensive lines in football. Pretty darn good defense. But I really see their schedule as being a challenge for them and not convinced they're going to get to that win total. Another one that I'm leaning under is the Cleveland Browns at 9.5. They play the NFC North, so they'll get the Packers. They get the AFC West, so they get the Chiefs and Chargers. They also draw the Cardinals, Texans, Patriots. So it's not a horrible schedule. Of course, they added... Troy Hill, and John Johnson to beef up that secondary, so that should be an improved unit. Another one I'm leaning under on is the Houston Texans. Even though it's four and a half, that's the lowest number in the league, but they draw the NFC West. They draw the AFC East. They also get the Chargers and Browns. It's a tough schedule for the Texans, and they are in just total disarray. They do have Deshaun Watson, though, so again, I don't feel strongly about this, but I'm leaning on the under on that. Kansas City Chiefs, the over-under on them is 12 wins, and I'm leaning under on that. They've beefed up their offensive line. Are they going to have a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover, though? They get the NFC East, which is going to help, and they get the AFC North, which is going to hurt. That's a strong division. And they also get the Titans, Bills, and Packers. So they have a tough road. Can they get to... 12-5 12-5 and five on a 17-game schedule. I'm betting no on that. Again, I don't feel real strongly, though. The two teams I do feel strongly about on the under is the Tennessee Titans and the Baltimore Ravens. The number on the Titans is 9.5. They draw that NFC West as well and the AFC East. They also get the Steelers and Chiefs. They added Bud Dupree and Janoris Jenkins to help out that defense. He also drafted Caleb Farley. But I'm still going under on the Titans at 9.5 wins, mostly due to the fact that they're going to be lucky to get 2-2 two and two out of the NFC West. And the Baltimore Ravens, their number is 11. They get the NFC North, so they'll draw the Packers. They also play the AFC West, so they get the Chiefs and Chargers. And they also draw, as a second-place team, the Rams and the Colts. Again, my two unders are Baltimore and Tennessee. There are three teams that I'm leaning towards the over on, and one I feel strongly about. One of the ones I'm leaning towards the over is the Jaguars, six-and-a-half wins. They get the NFC West and the AFC East. They also draw the Falcons, Bengals, and Broncos with a new coach, new quarterback. They've added Marvin Jones, Carlos Hyde, and Shaquille Griffin. They have a solid draft. I think they can get to seven or eight wins, and I expect that to happen. Another team I'm leaning on the over with is the Miami Dolphins. The number on them is nine wins. They get the AFC South and the NFC South, so that means their tough draws are the Titans, Colts, Bucks, and Saints. They also draw the Raiders, Giants, and Ravens. They're an improving team. I love their coach. They drafted Jalen Waddell and Jalen Phillips, as well as Javon Holland. Three solid draft picks. They got Tua coming back as their quarterback, Will Fuller on the outside. So they got a lot of speed with Waddle and Fuller. They play some tough defense. We saw that against the Rams last year i like their chances to get to more than nine wins. Another team I'm leaning over is the Raiders. I can't believe I'm saying this because they always seem to disappoint. The number on them is just seven and a half wins. They get the AFC North on their schedule and the NFC East, as well as the Dolphins, Bears, and Colts. They got the Broncos twice. One of the weaker teams in the league right now, in my opinion, They drafted Alex Leatherwood to hopefully beef up their offensive line. Corey Littleton was a little bit of a bust last year. I'm thinking his second year in that system, he's going to be better. I just see a lot of possible W's on their schedule. I don't expect them to be a real good team, but I think seven and a half is a little bit low on them. I'm expecting them to get to nine wins. So I feel pretty good about that one one team I like to over-on the most, however, though, is the San Diego Chargers. Again, I kind of hate to say that as well. The Rams' tenants at SoFi. They get the NFC East, so obviously some opportunities for wins there. And they also get the AFC North, Bengals, Browns, Steelers, and Ravens. They also get the Patriots, Vikings, and Texans, as well as their own division twice, which means the Broncos twice, Raiders twice. I just see a lot of Ws on this schedule, and nine wins seems kind of low to me. Chargers are probably a playoff team if things come together. Got some guys from the Rams staff over there running things, can hopefully improve the winning culture there. So they're a team to watch. Brandon Staley, is he head coaching material? I think so. So I expect the Chargers to get to 11 wins. So that's the one I feel the strongest about. Out of all of these, take the Chargers over nine wins. Time to get back to our greatest plays countdown. We have already presented 10 through 5, along with our five honorable mentions. You can review all of those on our website, ramsup.com. Today we get to play number four. And now I compiled this list uh, a couple of months ago, gave it a lot of thought, and I get to play number four here. And I'm wondering if maybe I have it too high, but we're just going to roll with it. One of the reasons I'm second-guessing myself here is because we've already listed one play from this game, but I think my original thought process was this play was perhaps even more important, so let's get to it. Going to take you back to January 20th, 2019. Rams and Saints, NFC Championship, both teams were 13-3 in the regular season, Saints had beaten the Rams 45-35 during the regular season, so they earned home field advantage. The Rams had eliminated the Cowboys the previous weekend, and the Saints had beaten the Eagles. So Saints go up 3-0 in this game, eventually take a 6-0 lead. Rams had zero first downs in the first two possessions with one turnover. That was a pass to Gurley that he failed to catch, popped out of his hands, and the Saints intercepted it. Fortunately, they only got a field goal out of that. Rams defense was up to the task early on. Up 6-0, the Saints drive deep into Rams territory. Fourth and two, Saints are going to go for it. Aaron Donald jumps offside, gives the Saints a first down, and they go up 13-0. Alvin Kamara was killing the Rams in this game, by the way, out of the backfield and in the passing game. The Rams first... Big play actually came on a fake punt. Johnny Hecker completes the pass on the fake. Goff runs and then passes for a first down. They get a field goal out of that drive. And I have to say, if you go back and look at this game, this is the Jared Goff that a lot of people forget about. He made some beautiful passes in this game. Got to give him a lot of credit. couple of sacks by Sue. Rams get the ball back. And this is where Goff starts throwing his darts. Gets the Rams down to the 5 on a big pass to Brandon Cooks. And Gurley scores to make it 13-10. Midway through the third quarter, Saints extend their lead to 20-10. And Goff responds. Big pass to Cooks. Touchdown pass to Higby. It's 20-17 and now we're in the fourth quarter. Rams have the ball. Goff completes a big pass to Reynolds. Rams come up short though and they kick the tying field goal 20-20. And then... We thought the game was over. Saints have the ball, trying to run out the clock. Breeze throws up essentially a jump ball. Ted Jinn outjumps Joyner. Joyner could have had an interception if he played that ball better. And we're right at the two-minute warning. Saints are in field goal range, 20-20. to Looks like it's all over. Saints just need to run out the clock and kick a field goal. A touchdown would be nice, but, but what happens? The Saints... Kind of got to point the finger at themselves here. What did they do on that first down play? They throw an incompletion. Then they run the ball. And then that famous third down play. The pass in the flat. A lot of people saying there's interference. I didn't see anything. Nicole Roby Coleman. Hey, he may have bumped him a little bit. I didn't see anything, though. <laughs> Good no call. Saints kicked the field goal through up 23-20. But this gives Rams life. And Goff hits Reynolds, Goff hits Cooks, Goff hits Woods, Goff to Gurley. They get all the way down to the 31-yard line. Zerline kicks the 48-yard field goal with 15 seconds left, and we go to overtime. Saints first possession in overtime, to the benefit of a pass interference call. Then Donald stuffs Ingram, second and 16, and Dante Fowler. Nice little spin move. Hits Breeze just as he's throwing the ball. John Johnson basically fair catches the floater for the interception. And the Rams have the ball in overtime in Saints territory. That's my favorite play number four. Nothing spectacular. Just a nice team play. Edge rusher Fowler makes the play. John Johnson capitalizes with the interception. And at that moment... With Greg the leg on your sideline, I basically knew, hey, we're going to the Super Bowl. That's my favorite play number four. And as I mentioned at the start, probably got a little bit too high, but this was a big play. This was the play, more so than the field goal, that got us to the Super Bowl. That's my greatest play number four. We will get to play number three next week. As you regular listeners know, we have an ongoing feature called Fearsome 4 Questions. And we also have a feature that we share occasionally called our Sports Pet Peeve of the Week. This episode, I took the liberty of kind of combining those, if you will. What I have is my four most annoying sports cliches. My fearsome four worst sports cliches. Cliché one. Defense wins championships. Now, defense is obviously very important, especially in football. I'd argue that special teams are kind of important, too, and maybe offense as well. I'm going to give you two examples. The 1999 St. Louis Rams won the NFL championship leading the league in scoring with 32.9 points a game. Example two, in 1951, the Los Angeles Rams won the NFL championship by leading the league in scoring at 32.7 points a game, which was pretty incredible in that era. That's all I'm going to say about that. Cliché number two. It's a must-win game. Now, there are cases where a game is a must-win game, but I hear that so much and so early in a season, it just becomes annoying. It just loses its impact when you're one and two going into week four and everybody's telling you it's a must-win game. It isn't. Cliché number three, we just wanted it more. How do you even know that? How do you measure that? Is it cumulative? Your entire team wanted it more than their entire team? And actually, it's kind of an insult to your opponent. You don't know how much they wanted it. They could have wanted it twice as much as you. They just didn't have the talent. I think we could probably find some examples of winless teams that wanted it more, but still lost 34 to nothing. Now, I know this cliche is usually used in close games. At the end, grind time, one team pulls it out because they wanted it more. I still argue you have no way of knowing that. Why don't you just say, we wanted it really, really bad at the end there, and we worked hard for the win. Cliché number four, and this is my favorite. He's the first one in the building and the last one out. Again, how do you even know that? Unless you're there when he gets there. In which case, you're the first one there. Or did someone just ask the janitor? Yeah, yeah, Aaron Donald, first one in the building again. And what happens when an undrafted free agent finds out that Aaron Donald is checking in at 5.30 every morning and says, Hey, you know what? I guess I got to be there at 5.15. So he starts showing up at 5.15 every morning. Now, Aaron Donald... Why is he so successful? Because he's the second guy in the building every morning? And when that undrafted free agent, rookie, who's been showing up at 5.15 gets cut, are we going to say, hey, he's the first guy in in the morning. Too bad he got cut because he still can't tackle anybody. I just hear that over and over again. At this point, I don't even believe it. People just making stuff up. Those are my four most annoying sports cliches. Let's find some new ones. Let's be a little more creative, guys. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. These cliches are kind of meaningless at this point. That's going to do it for this episode. Remember, you can reach out to us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com visit our website at ramsup.com and please subscribe and give us that five star rating we really appreciate it and remember keep the horns up stay safe and have fun out there